0: god i'm on my knees again god i'm begging please again i need we
1: Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, I'm just going to move this because that's, that's a hazard. That's a hazard when you move around as much as I do. So, you know what? We'll maybe even put it back a little further. There you go. Awesome. So good to see you. Um, have you guys been enjoying this series, Holy Fire? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I just want to say hi to everybody online. Uh, my name is Brian. If we haven't met, i one of the pastors here and we hope that this word today encourages you as it's encouraging everybody else here and uh, just kind of meets you right where you live. Um, today is indeed Pentecost Sunday. This is a day in Christian history where we, we remember the reality of Jesus's promise when he said that, hey, the Holy Spirit, the Father is going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come and he's going he's to do a whole bunch for you. And you read in John uh, 14, 15, and 16. He's going to guide you into all truth, and he's going to remind you of the things that I promised to you. But most importantly, in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says that he, he's going to come. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses, right? You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you. And so I'm believing that today could be a day where we celebrate and we receive the reality of God's promise for us in the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? amen. So we are going to jump into the word here in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I hope you brought your Bible with you today, but if you did not, uh, it's going to be up on the screen for you. Uh, We're going to read just a few scriptures here, and then we're going to start this journey. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Shout amen when you're there. Amen. You guys are fast. You guys have been doing your sword drills, I can tell. Anyways. Um, Matthew chapter five verse thirteen. You are, this is Jesus talking, by the way. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Just a real encouraging verse for you here this morning. But he continues on. He says, "You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden." Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Some good, good scripture here this morning. Uh, I don't know if you like sermon titles or not, but it's kind of a big thing for me. And um, I had to laugh uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Bonnie and I kind of handled the Mother's Day service. And just to give you a little insight into the dynamics between us, um, I need to read, in order to kind of be prepped to preach a sermon, I need to like read books by dead people. Like old theologians and commentaries and stuff like that, where Bonnie just needs to pray in tongues for 45 minutes and then she gets, you know what I mean? So that was, that was very interesting, prepping that a presentation together. So, uh, but I usually start with like a, a title. So today, today's title is Fire Hazard. Fire Hazard. T- turn to the person beside you and say Fire Hazard. Don't be a fire hazard. Well, we we'll just go to the Lord and pray here and just ask him to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that it's alive, it's active, and God, it is a sharp, double-edged sword. God, and I pray that it would do work on our inside, in our heart, in our motivations, in our perspective. But Lord, it would also uh, sharpen us in how we live our lives, that we would live according to your word in the power of the Spirit, God, representing you in this world as your ambassadors. God, I pray that by the Spirit, you just uh, speak to people's hearts today and uh, speak right to their situation and right where they live. And that God, you'd help me uh, to be faithful to preach your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love bonfires. Anybody else? It's just like any excuse to burn something. I'm like, let's go. You know what I mean? I know in the Fraser Valley, we kind of have like this short window of time, uh, like where kind of when the rainy season starts and then summer starts, it's like in between the burning bands and everything like that, we get this little window of time. And I love, you know, just on a nice cool night, just having a fire outside and drinking some coffee and just hanging out with good people. That's good friends, that's, that's a good time to me. You know what I mean? And um, I think in a lot of ways, there's something so powerful about gathering around a fire. Anybody who knows, you know, right? You can just get lost in looking in the fire and in the warmth and the glow and everything. And I think in some ways, that's what the church is supposed to be. Where we come and we gather around the fire of God. We gather around the fire of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together in these, in these gatherings just like this on a Sunday morning, we are reminding each other about, uh, the fire of God and the, the presence of God and the glory of God. And, but here's a reality. In the Old Testament, there was this command that the fire always needed to be lit in the temple. It should never go out. Right? And we had like a physical location where the fire of God would be and where the glory of God would be, the presence of God would be. But now in the new covenant, you and I are that building. Okay, I'm going to maybe try this side again. You are that building. You are that temple where the fire of God dwells. And we're supposed to be carriers of that. We're not just supposed to come and gather around it and then walk away and forget about it. We're supposed to gather here together, and like embers, when they get close together, turn into a flame. We get encouraged, we get built up in our faith to now go and carry that to the world around us. So, just like I said before, in Acts chapter 1, and verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus talking. And you shall be My witnesses, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice it says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's it's not just about you feeling warm and fuzzy. Right? I know we get into the presence of God and we feel the peace of God. We feel the joy of God. We feel the presence of God. And it's really great. But it's actually a greater purpose, not just for you to experience it, but for you to carry it and be a witness. To your circle, your innermost circle, your regional circle, your national circle, and to the world. Now, all of us have different callings and purposes. It might be the regional that you're called to. It might be the national that you're called to. It might be the international that you're called to. But no matter where you are, you are called to be a witness, a testimony of the fire of God and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And again, just to give you a little light in my world as someone who's kind of like a prophetic teacher kind of mix, I'm constantly concerned, right? That's just, I live in constant confliction because I walk into a room and I see the one picture that's not quite level. You know what I mean? And this is the problem with maybe this gift mix or the, the tension of this gift mix is you're always concerned of, the, of what could happen if the, something's not quite addressed, right? The process is really difficult for me. This is just maybe confession. I don't even know what this is. This is just me venting, maybe, right? But the process is always difficult. But I do have a real concern, is that even though we've gone through this series, Holy Fire, my concern is that we would think that because we've heard it enough, therefore we're living it. I don't know if you've ever gone to like maybe a marriage conference or something, And you're just like, oh, wow, man, I got, man, I've been to the marriage conference. That was so good. I don't even know what they were talking about, but it was powerful, you know? And then, but then somebody comes and talks to you. So like, hey, like, how's, how's your marriage been? Like a week later or a month later or something like that. Oh, well, well, it's still the way it is, but we went to the marriage conference though. Oh, really? So what have you put into work, you know, as far as your communication and your conflict resolution? Oh, well, well, nothing really, but we went to the conference, You know, you go to the financial conference. It's like, oh, hey, so you have a budget now? It's like, well, no, I'm not saving. I'm not monitoring my spending. But man, that conference was powerful. And some of us were going to go like, okay, man, that was such a good series. Man, it was so good, walking by the Spirit. Wow, powerful. But the question we have to ask ourselves, and we even have to allow the Holy Spirit to answer for us, is to let him kind of read our heart. God, like, am I living this? Am I putting this into practice? And you may be like, man, but I pray in tongues, Brian. I'm like, yeah, but you gossip in English. That's my favorite meme. That's my favorite meme. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that meme on Instagram or whatever, but it's my favorite. It hits a little heavy, doesn't it, though? But it's the reality, though. It's like we can know about something intellectually, We can know about something because we've read about it or we heard somebody talk about it. But how we really know something, the evidence that we really know something is that we are walking it out. We're practicing it. I remember a conversation I had with a gentleman in uh, this church like years ago. I, I don't know how I remember these little things, but he was a truck driver and owned like a trucking company and shipping company. And we were talking about like, you know, the process of like, I don't know how we even got onto this, but we were talking about like what it took to be a truck driver And he says, yeah, you got to go to trucking school. You do all that. But even though when you go through the trucking school and you get your license and everything like that, you're still half a a truck driver. And I went, that's actually pretty powerful. Because you can know the theory and the technicality and and all that stuff, but what's going to make you a whole truck driver is getting behind the wheel and living it out. And I go, we can come here Sunday after Sunday and still be half a Christian still be half a disciple, because we're not constantly getting behind the wheel and putting it into practice and finding ways to apply what we're reading and live it out. You know, in James chapter 1, and verse 22 to 24, it says, James says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Isn't this interesting? It says you'll deceive yourself if you do that. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. I think that's a hilarious image. Like, I think that's hilarious imagery that James puts together. Imagine this for a moment. You're coming and you're looking intently into the mirror. Okay, okay, that's what I look like. This is, this is who I am. This is how my hair is. I don't know why that's going that way, but okay, that's fine. You know, right? And you're just memorizing all that. And then you turn and you're like, ah, who am I? This is the imagery that James is saying. And I go, man, isn't that the truth? We come here, we hear what we're called to, we hear about who God is, and then we walk away and we forget. We get busy, we get distracted. And we never walk into the fullness of walking in the spirit that Christ has called us to as his followers. I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore. (laughs) We're going to move on, all right? But just to give you some context in the verse that we just read out of Matthew chapter 5, this is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 to 7 is uh, considered by a lot of theologians as Jesus' greatest teaching. Like, it, is, it is, encapsulates what it means to be a Christ follower. And we see uh, just some amazing uh, theology and, and everything. But, like, it's just some of Jesus' most powerful teaching. And... Um, R.T. Kendall in his verse-by-verse commentary on the sermon states, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to demonstrate the kind of teaching and the kind of living with regard to character and conduct that should govern the people of God through what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we read this here in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 9, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become the sons of God. Those are some amazing promises, right? For living in, in, in line with the character of God. It's like if you walk in a purity of heart, you'll become, you'll, or no, sorry, let me, I'm going to get that wrong. You walk in the purity of heart, you'll see God, you'll experience him. Because we see that holiness is not a restriction, but an invitation to know the character of God. So there's some amazing promises, and we're kind of living in this tension of, of the now but not yet. These are things that we get to experience, but ultimately we will experience when Christ returns and we're glorified and we're lifted up and we walk into eternal life with him. These will be uh, experienced in their fullness. But Jesus is speaking with a knowledge that the Holy Spirit is coming, with an understanding that the Father is gonna send the Holy Spirit. So you might be looking at this like, man, how do I live with a pure heart in such an impure culture? It's because it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. How do you, how do you become a peacemaker in a world of Facebook comment sections and Twitter hashtags and everything. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's going he's to guide you into all truth. He's going to shape you into the character of God. But this is where it gets really weird. It shifts gears a little bit. We see all this amazing, hey, like this character traits, and like these people sound amazing. Like I honestly, these are the type of people I want to hang out with. And then it gets into verse 10 here. It said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Wait, what? Persecute who? Who? These people sound amazing. Who would be persecuted? Like, these are the type of people you want to hang out with. Like, people who who mourn over their sin. They have a humility. They're broken about their sin. Right? That's the promise, you know, even in verse uh, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are people who have a brokenness in their heart over their sin. They're humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They realize that, man, they're not a big deal. So where is this persecution talk coming from? Who's going to persecute these people? Well, here's the other side of it. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is not just to reveal the character of the Holy Spirit in us that are in verses one to nine, but also the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that the Holy Spirit, as much as it's working in your life to conform you to the image of Christ for the sake of others is also working in the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So just like Paul says, is like we're like the fragrance of life to some people and we're the fragrance of death to others because they'll see the character of the Holy Spirit in us and be convicted of their sin. I totally jumped over that verse, but that's all right. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to us and that through us, he would work. Doesn't mean that he doesn't work outside of his people, because we hear stories from all over the world, people having visitations of who Jesus is in Muslim countries, people having dreams and visions of who Jesus is and the gospel being preached to them by the Holy Spirit. But can I be honest with you? That's a very small fraction of how people get saved. It's a very small percentage of how the gospel is preached throughout the earth. Who is God using to preach the gospel throughout the earth? It's a great time to raise your hand because you are his body. You are his ambassadors. He's using you. I remember watching this movie and I don't want to say what movie it was. It wasn't an entirely bad movie, but I just don't want to give you permission to go watch it. You know what I mean? It's just always weird. But it was this military movie, and they were supposed to go in and like com, kind of complete this secret mission or whatever, and things were not going well. The prep was not going well. And this leader, this kind of CIA guy, walks into the meeting room and says, There's nobody else coming. Like, get your stuff together. Nobody else is coming. You are plan A. There is no plan B. And I I, I almost wanna say that today by the Spirit of God. Nobody else is coming, church. We're called to this. We are the plan A of God. We're not an afterthought. We're not a panicky, anxious, kind of throw together plan. We are the plan and purpose of God in this hour to be his ambassadors and to carry the Holy Spirit to be a witness for him in this time. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7 it says, And you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus gives us this instruction to go and live the life that he's modeled for us. And a lot of times when we think about, you know, being a Christian today and discipleship today, it's just, it's like, well, how do I just improve myself? And I want to be more Christ-like in my character. And we somehow throw out the other side that we actually have to be walking in the power of the Spirit too. We get really stuck in the ditch of project self where it's like, I just got to work on my stuff, you know, and and then, then maybe I'll walk in the power of the Spirit later. And it's like, when did you get to decide when to be obedient to God? When do you get, like, when did you start to decide that you are in charge of when to be obedient to God? It's not one or the other. Yes, we need to be conformed to the character of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, but we also have to be walking in the power of the Spirit at the same time, because it's the same Spirit. So we can see throughout history that as people walked in the power of the Spirit and in the character of the Spirit, it was not received well by all. Like, think about it. You look in Acts chapter 16, Paul Paul and Silas, they cast out this demon out of this girl who's doing fortune-telling. And it lands him in prison. And then in Acts 19, Paul's accused of preaching against Artemis in, the, in, in the Ephesus. And it's a two-and-a-half-hour riot of the followers of Artemis sh- shouting in confusion, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The preaching of the gospel caused a riot. It's not always going to be well-received. But this is what we're called to. Not just to be kind, not only to be kind, not only to be gentle, but to be a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. One of my uh, favorite revival preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, says this. He says, how come the world couldn't get along with the holiest person that ever lived, but can get along just fine with you and me? Have we compromised? Do we not have any spiritual stature? Leonard Ravenhill had a spiritual gift of us mic drop moments. Because that hits home. We go, oh, well, if we're just just kind, if we're just nice and gentle, then people will see Jesus in us. And they'll like us and everything like that. And it'll it'll just go great. But nobody who did anything of value for the kingdom of God was afforded the privilege of not having their character slandered. Jesus wasn't even afforded that, just welcomed with open arms. But we have to be convinced that it is worth, it is, what's on the other side of obedience to God is worth the momentary affliction that we might experience in this life, the momentary challenges that we might experience in this life. Because his kingdom coming and his will being done has to be the most important thing to us. The point is, we have to be people of both character and charisma. There is a tension, but it doesn't have to be a choice. It can be both. And I understand. Listen, I I have to laugh at some of the hyper charismatic stuff that goes on. Right? I get it why some people are like, oh, man, signs and wonders, miracles, power of the Holy Spirit. It's just, oh. I get it. Some stuff has been done in the name of the Holy Spirit that is just absolutely frustrating and concerning. I get it but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater as much as I hate that statement. So weird. Right? But like, we don't have to throw out the reality that the power of the Holy Spirit for us today to walk in signs and wonders and not be weird. To be spiritual people who aren't like glossy-eyed and crazy. You know what I mean? That we can actually be real people who walk in the power of the real Holy Spirit in a real, tangible way. Right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. As we read in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, uh, Peter's preaching at Cornel- Cornelius' household. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about, look at this, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because God was with him. So the Holy Spirit needs to be doing both. We need to be walking in the goodness of God, the the righteousness of God, but also stomping on the head of the devil. This is what we're called to as disciples. Freely you've been given, now freely give. That wasn't for just one period of time. That is for you and me today. Heal the sick, raise the dead. I looked in the Greek and that actually means like raise the dead. Like give me... I I get it, right? That blows our mind. But I think think what God wants to do in this hour is wants to rekindle this fire in us where some of us, we've we've lost this dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've thrown it aside because of its misuse. And we can start to lean towards just theology and doctrine and everything, which is so important. It's a passion of mine. But we run the risk of becoming just... An atmosphere of dead orthodoxy where we all believe the right thing, but there's no life in it. It's not active. It's not present in our life. And I'm like, I don't, I'm all for believing the right thing, but I need to have the Holy Spirit breathing and activity going on and life being moved through his body. We cannot afford to become an atmosphere of just dead orthodoxy. We need to be walking in a demonstration, signs and wonders following the preaching of the word not following after signs and wonders, but preaching the word and God showing up on behalf of his faithful followers who are sold out for his kingdom. Can you say amen? But we face some real challenges in our society today. So I don't want to just get you riled up and then not be real with you in the fact that we have some real challenges in our society to the preaching of the gospel. We see a social justice movement in this hour where it considers preaching the gospel is viewed as oppression because it's confronting other people's culture. And it does do that. But this is the challenge that we have to face. It, it, it confronted my culture. And there's some people says, oh man, the church is just so intolerant. You know, It's intolerant of people's different belief systems. I'm like, yeah, I was intolerant of my belief system. It showed me how dead wrong I was and how dead in my sin I was. But it also showed me to, it also showed me the way to life. So yeah, we might I don't even really know if there's anything hopeful to come out of that. It's just I'm just laying it out for you. This is a reality. It's disrespectful to people's cultures. It confronts people's false ideologies and false thinking and immoral living. And it's it doesn't play favorites. It confronts people's heterosexual living too. Not just the homosexual or the transsexual. It equally confronts your idolatry and your adultery and your fornication. Not just the homosexual, not just the transsexual. It calls all of humanity to righteousness before God. We also run this risk of being labeled as intolerant. And this is what has infiltrated the church lately where we started to to cater to immoral living and we've folded And try we have to affirm a lifestyle that is contrary to God's loving design for all of us. And this has led to a timidity within the Western church due to not wanting to be considered mean or a hateful bigot. And like I said before, no one who did anything of value for the kingdom of God was afforded that privilege of not being misrepresented or or slandered but we have to be willing to go beyond that for the sake of the lost, those who are far from God to see the reality of God. So we go back to our main, te- main text in Matthew 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And he says this, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men so they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Where he says that you are the salt of the earth, salt was used in three ways at that time, to flavor and to preserve. You gotta imagine, in the biblical times, you don't have a refrigerator to go and put your meat in. So you would salt it. It's like everything kind of becomes jerky. You know what I mean? but this was the way it was preserved. And this was actually the way you would actually have to, it would provide flavor to certain things, obviously, as we still use that today, but it would also cleanse an open wound. So there's a cleansing that God wants to use in his church through to the world around us. Not just a preserving and a flavoring, but a cleansing. But more importantly, or maybe one extra important way, is it creates thirst. And I think we need to be living in a way that creates thirst for those around us. Do people see that God is alive in your life and in my life? Is it creating a thirst in those who are around you? Because if it's not, if it's not in my life, if it's not in your life, then we've got a hunger again. There's probably a a good chance that we've drifted in our hunger, and we've become distracted We've become consumed with things that actually don't satisfy. He also says that you are the light of the world in Hill City. This is where our name comes from. We're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. A lighthouse is only good when it's dark. And I know right now we can be intimidated by what seems to be the darkest moment in history. But i want—I have good news for you. The church has been here Before. And it's when we cling to the Word of God and we cling to the power of the Spirit. You want to know what starts to burn bright? The people of God again. You want to know what gives a high ground to those who are caught up in darkness? The church. A lot of times we can feel this pressure to fold, but we have to give people a high ground to come out of. If we cater to the pressure of society, we lose our saltiness, and we are, we are sinking in the same quicksand as everybody else in this culture. We have to stand strong in the word of God and in the spirit of God with the character of God to be that high ground. And then this is in verse 15. It says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. This is, again, some pretty funny imagery. Can you imagine lighting a candle and then taking, like, a wood basket and putting it over top? That's, um, it's taken me this long to get to connecting to my title, by the way. So here we are. Right? <laughs> you take like one of those woven baskets and you put it over the candle, that's not carrying the fire or letting the light shine. That's a fire hazard. And I think a lot of times we come here, we come to church or we, we do our devotions or we spend our time with the Lord and we get up and we put our basket on and we go about our day. And I'm like, you're not being a carrier of the fire, you're being a fire hazard. It's not a ministry of fire It's a fire hazard. So here I have three things for you to cultivate to be people who minister in the power of the spirit, who let the light shine around us. We have to embrace a slowed down way of living. A lot of us are going, oh God, I want you to move in my life, use my life. You know, I want you to show up in my life and be a a witness to those around us. And God is saying, where exactly would you like me to squeeze in to your life? Like, I understand, I have a young family. There's a lot going on. But I've also been very purposeful to reject this, this, the phrase, oh, yeah, when somebody asks me, like, hey, Brian, how are you doing? I don't say busy anymore. I say my life's full. Because we've started in, in Western society, we've, we've idolized the idea of being busy because we, we think it means significance. Because you can be busy doing a lot of things that actually don't mean anything. So we need to embrace a slowed down relationship with God where we are, we are creating margin to be with God, to be in the word, to allow the word, not just to read the word, but to allow the word to read you and speak to areas in your life and begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Man, because honestly, guys, I'll, I'll never forget when I saw the book, 60 uh, Second Devotions for the Everyday Disciple or it was something like that. And I go, 60 seconds? You're supposed to fight the armies of hell with 60 seconds devotions? Man, that doesn't sound like a disciple. That sounds like somebody who's distracted. That's like some. That sounds like somebody who's engaged with the smoke and mirrors of the world. And I go, we have to be creating margin of being still and knowing that he's God, being spending time with the Holy Spirit. You wanna know what starts to happen when you start making margin for the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit starts talking to you. You start spending time hearing what his what his word is, hearing, understanding his word and allowing his word to search your heart. You wanna know who starts showing up and guiding you through the day? The Holy Spirit. I don't ever see in the life of Jesus him being busy or him being anxious or him feeling rushed. If you look at the story of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he waited another four days. It's like, think about that for a second. If somebody I knew and loved as much Jesus as Jesus loved Lazarus, I would be like running. Oh my goodness, we got to go there, we got to pray for him. And Jesus is like, "Mm, I'm going to wait a minute. Jesus was never in a rush, but he always did what he saw the Father doing. He didn't live according to other people's obligations or other people's manipulation. He lived according to the will of the Father. So that's number one, a slow down way of living, a slowed down relationship, slowed down spirituality, connecting with God every day, creating margin and growing in that in that time with the Lord and in his word and making making time for God to show up. And I even think like, man, when we're in the grocery store, why don't we choose the lineup that's maybe a little bit longer? Or maybe won't we ask the Holy Spirit, like, hey, where do you want me to be? Which which checkout person do you want me to talk to you today? Because I know what I'm like when I get into Save-On. I'm like, okay, that line's too long, that line's too long. Uh, I'm gonna do self-checkout today. I'm gonna witness to myself, you know? But I go, what if we just took that time just to be still and go, God, I'm here for a reason today. You could sovereignly show up here today. There's somebody here who you want to speak to. Lord, just guide me. Which, which checkout person, which person in the lineup should I start a conversation with? Even more so as we've been so isolated and divided through these last two years, we need to connect with other people and show up in other people's lives. Anyway, so number two, We have to be willing to sow for the sake of sowing, not just for harvesting. Because I think this is what evangelism, like, this is why evangelism scares so much of us. It's because we feel like this obligation is like, well, what if they don't pray a prayer? What if they don't get saved right away? You know what I mean? And so we don't do it. But what if we were just committed to sow wherever we go? Just connect with somebody. Just share the word with somebody. Just engage with somebody. Try to build a bridge with somebody for Jesus to walk across. Because Paul even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said that I sowed, but Apollos Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. You might just be in somebody's life for a reason just to sow for that moment. And it might be somebody else who comes along and waters, and God might use somebody else to come and harvest it. We need to be sensitive to the time of harvest when God's really working in somebody's life to say, hey man, I think today's the day for you to give your life to Jesus. And this is what it means. This is what it looks like. But we have to be willing to sow wherever we go, not just committed to harvest. So last and number three, we need to be supernaturally natural. So number one, a slow down way of living, slow down spirituality, creating margin to be with the Holy Spirit but also be willing to sow for the sake of sowing wherever we go, and trust God to bring the harvest, to bring it in. But number three, be supernaturally natural. Supernaturally natural. Make everyday stuff you do meaningful to the kingdom. I think I've been in some some, some scenarios when I go out for lunch or something like that, and I'm really I want to I want to witness to the to the to the um, the waitress right and you get so riled up, and your eyes go glossy, and you get kind of weird, and you're like, hey, so uh, do you know Jesus? And they're like, um, not the way I think you do. (laughs) You know, right? I understand that we can get really zealous, but I think we need to be supernaturally natural, not where we freak people out. You get what I mean? And I I think God can help you to do that. But I think this taking everyday stuff that we do and making it purposeful and making it spiritual Is actually the life that the disciples live because we see in Acts chapter three, well, Peter and John they're going to they're going to prayer. And while as while they're going to prayer at the gate beautiful, they see that there's a crippled man there. And he asks them for money. And he says, Like, look at us. We don't have any money. Do I look like somebody who has money? But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Here was this time where they were just going about their normal stuff, where they were attentive to what the Holy Spirit was wanting them to do. Peter didn't go, oh, well, I don't really have my character figured out. I mean, I still got some issues. I kind of fly off the handle every once in a while. Anybody else kind of relate with Peter? You know, it would be really nice to be a Paul and just always seem to get it right, but I kind of identify more with Peter. But see, in that moment, God might want to use you in your own brokenness and imperfection that'll actually stir you on to want to grow in your character. But if we go if we start to disqualify ourselves and be like, "Oh man, I didn't I didn't pray for exactly 30 minutes today." We might miss out on what God wants to do for, to do with you. Anyways, they were on their way to prayer. They were just on their way to their daily stuff and they made They created margin. They saw and they sensed what God was doing in the life of another person. And that was a moment where the kingdom came. So we're gonna do something right now. We're gonna turn out the lights here. And this is the one time that you're allowed to bring out your phone. Unless you're taking notes and reading your Bible on your phone, I want you to take out your phone. I want you to figure out how to turn on the flashlight. This is the test. Okay, let's turn out the lights here. So, okay, okay, you're really great. You guys were on that really fast. I like that. But see, this is what we're called to. In a dark place, the light can shine through the people of God. We're made for this moment, church, to show the character of God and to show the spirit of God, the power of God. You are a city on a hill and nobody is meant to live under a basket God's put his fire in you, not to be hidden, but to be demonstrated. And this is what causes the light and the glory of God to be seen upon the people of God. Let your light shine before men so that they might glorify your father who is in heaven. Worship team, can you come up? We're gonna hit the lights back up. This is what we're called to, church. All the people online totally missed out. (laughs) That's what we're called to. Not to be afraid of the darkness, but to let our light shine. Not to disqualify ourselves because of our imperfection, but to trust in the grace of God to move through imperfect vessels to demonstrate his character and his power in this time. Can you stand to your feet here with me this morning? There's kind of two people I was speaking to today. You're, there's some people here that you're really fired up for the spirit of God. You're really fired up to be walking in the power of God. But the reality is, is, you've been neglecting your character. And I think God in this moment is wanting to bring a tension again, a balance again, get you back out of the ditch and onto the narrow road of walking in the character of God and then also walking in the power of God. But the other person... You've been just trusting in the character. You've been staying in the background in the hidden places and like, oh, well, I got to work on me and I got to be more like Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus walked in both the power and the character of God. And we are not going to become an atmosphere of dead orthodoxy where we just inherit strong biblical doctrine, but what doesn't show up in our life. We have to be walking in both. So if that's you today, I just want to encourage you, come forward and respond for prayers. Our prayer team comes. We want to pray with you and just respond to what God is doing in your life. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I've got good news for you today. The message of what Jesus has done in taking your sin and my sin on the cross means that you can have forgiveness and a new start. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, the day before, or five minutes ago. Jesus died for your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. And if that's you today, I I encourage you again to respond just as our prayer team comes forward here this morning. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, we'd love to pray with you and love to help you in that journey. But church, can you just pray with me right now? We wanna be people who walk in both the character and the power. So Father, in Jesus' name, God, we receive this word today. God, help us to not hide our light under the baskets of insecurity and fear. But God, let the love of God burn so brightly within us. God, that we wanna be bold in the preaching of the gospel. We wanna be bold in going and seeking seeking the lost so they might be found in you. God, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers in this hour. God, and let your fire be clearly seen on us. Just like John Wesley prayed, God, we want to set ourselves ablaze to let others watch us burn, to let others see the glory and the fire of the Holy Spirit on our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen.